they say this, don't they? It's all the time. They say our character is truly tested when we're under pressure, right? And I think that's prob- that's true of my experiences. And it's probably true of yours, isn't it? That you see what people are really like when the heat is on, when you're under a bit of pressure, when everything's rosy. You can be whoever you want to be, seemingly. But when it's tough, then your character's really tested. In the tough times, it becomes obvious. And for me, you know, when someone parks in the very last child space and they don't have children, you know, I just have to gently remind them that they've probably left their children at home and they haven't realised that these are parking spaces for children, well, for adults with children. We have a gentle conversation like I did a few weeks ago and I got politely told to do one. Um, That's fine. In those moments, your character... And what you choose to do, you know, I had lots of things in my head that I wanted to do, but I just smiled and waved like the penguins from Madagascar. It's a real life tip. You won't find that in the Bible, but it's a real life tip. Just smile and wave. It saves you a lot of bother. Like, that's a trivial example, but when the, when the pressure is really on, when you're properly kind of up against it in whatever way, when there's real stress, it's then your character is tested. And Jesus here faces something that none of us will ever face. Faces the most difficult, challenging thing, painful thing in all of history. And it's not just the fact he's crucified, because we read today that a couple of other blokes are crucified too. So it's not simply that he's crucified, but it's the spiritual implications of what's going on. The fact that he's being crucified not for his own sin or his own wrongdoing, but the weight of the world is effectively on Jesus' shoulders at this moment in history. It's that significant. It's that huge. It all rests on the God-man. And in the midst of that, we see where his heart is. We see God's heart, don't we? We see what God's about. In the hardest time in Jesus' 33 years on earth, we see the heart of God. Let me read the passage that was read to us last week as we started this new series kind of building towards Easter. really wanted to take some time thinking about actually what the significance is and what goes on. The seven words from the cross. As Jesus hangs upon the cross, he says seven things. Sometimes people call them the seven sayings of the cross. Last week was the first one. Today is the second. And we'll go right up until actually the week after Easter. But on Easter Sunday, it will be, it is finished. But today's, which we'll get to in a little bit, follows on from last week's. If you, ha- if you weren't here last week, that's all right. You don't, that's all right. But maybe check YouTube because I think that would be worthwhile. I think that would be helpful to listen to the podcast or get what was said last week by Carl. Let me read the passage that kind of precedes what we're looking today. It says, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him, speaking of Jesus. And when they came to the place of the skull, uh, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the first word from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching, and the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved himself, let him, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers mocked him, coming up, they offered him sour wine, and they said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was also an inscription that was above the cross, and it said, this is the king of the Jews. So Jesus is led to the hillside to be crucified. He's put on some planks of wood to slowly die of suffocation. It's not a quick hit. 
he's going to suffocate to death. Nails through his hands, through his feet. He's crucified with two criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And the two thieves, we find out, are being punished according to their crimes. They deserve to be there. They've committed crime, and so they're being punished by the system of the day. That's just the way it went. But Jesus is different. Even in Jesus' trial, you've got Pilate saying, I can't find anything on him. Why is this guy getting crucified? He's innocent. And that's when you get the, the famous saying where Pilate washes his hands. I wash my hands of the blood of this man. Which, of course, he doesn't, but he, he says he does. Jesus is innocent, yet crucified alongside common criminals. And just, uh, I love the Bible. I think it's amazing. Because you can't kind of, we had this, we're doing the Alpha course at the moment. And on Thursday was, who is Jesus? And what, one of the things it was talking about was that Jesus fulfilled a whole load of prophecies through his life that were written in the Old Testament, almost like predictions of what was going to happen. And many of them on the day of his death and then with his resurrection. And one of them reads this from Isaiah 53, that Jesus or the, the Messiah, he would be numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and he makes intercession for the transgressors. On Jesus' death, he is numbered with the transgressors. He's got two thieves, one to his right, one to his left. He couldn't have arranged that or orchestrated that. And yet that was something that was written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before about who the promised Messiah was going to be. The details of his death and Jesus fulfills them. This amazing, pure, innocent, humble man is crucified alongside the common criminal. That's what's going on. And if that's not bad enough, that's pretty bad, isn't it? You know, like your worst day ever, that would be up there, wouldn't it? Right? As if that's not bad enough, he's getting mocked at the time. You know, the time. Oh, Jesus, if you really are who you say you are, you could just get down. You could save yourself. And of course he could. Of course he could. He's the son of God. And Carl talked about last week that he could have legions of angels on call at any point if he wanted to, to just smash them up. And he could get down. But he chooses not to. And instead he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Instead of saying, smite them, he says, Father, forgive them. And the whole point of last week, if you weren't here, and one of the main driving kind of thoughts was, if anyone ever had the opportunity to, or right in one sense, to not forgive someone, or to have an ego and to be chipped up, it was Jesus. And he actually chose to forgive and he sets the path and the way that we're to forgive others too. Revolutionary things Jesus says like, love your enemies. Forgive people. Forgive those who hurt you. And so that's what's going on. He says it to the soldiers that are crucifying him. The crowd are watching on. And I want you to see, and this is the point I think of what Jesus says here. Jesus in the middle, thief one to the left, thief one to the right, or whichever way you want to do it. And their eternal destinies, what happens to them for all time, is shaped by the man in the middle. Even as they're hanging on a cross, their future is dependent upon the one who's in between them. And that each of these two thieves make very different decisions with their last breaths. And that affects not only their present reality, I mean they were both going to die, they weren't going to change that. But more importantly than that, it affects their future destiny. It affects their future, their life beyond death. Let me read this to you. This is the first one, thief one. One of the criminals, 
who was hanged, rallied at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now, Jesus has been beaten to a pulp. He's going to be looking pretty bruised, pretty beaten up before he's even hung upon the cross. So is this other guy. All right, he's not going to have a crown of thorns on his head, but he's going to have been beaten. He's going to have had some punishment. He's going to be hurting. And he's, he's dying on a cross. This thief is dying. He's not going anywhere. And yet he's mocking Christ. Now you would think, you would think, that if you knew you were dying, if you knew this was it, you might have a little rethink. Perhaps. Do you not think? Maybe. This guy doesn't. Even in the most agonizing, cruel death, he doesn't humble himself. And actually, ironically, he says, Jesus, save yourself and me. What he thinks is if Jesus gets down from the cross, he'll then go over to him and let him down. Well, maybe if Jesus did get down from the cross, I think I'd leave him hanging there. That's, that's what might have, have happened. But actually, he thinks, well, oh, Jesus, if you save yourself, you'll save me. If you get down from the cross, you can get me down as well. But he's mocking him because almost the tone is joining in with the soldiers and the others saying, oh, you're not who you say you are. You've been doing all this stuff, but look where you are in the exact same place as me. He's kind of crying out to be saved, but he's got it all wrong. He's got the whole emphasis and point completely wrong. He's failed to realize that actually just by putting his trust in who Jesus says he is, he would actually be saved. It's a bit ironic that he would be saved if that's what he had done. But he chooses to value his earthly life over any future possible eternal life. He goes, well, I want the temporary. I want the relief now, not what might come in the future. He treasures the moment. And it's at the expense of his eternal future, actually, for this first thief hanging upon a cross. He's dying on a cross. And even then, he doesn't go, I might be a little bit guilty. I might need a little bit of forgiveness. Jesus might be right. But he just mocks away. And it just got me thinking, you know, if we want to follow Jesus, if, if you want to follow him, the cross is inescapable. We cannot follow Christ and miss out the cross, which is almost what this guy is asking for. Save yourself, save me, forget about this cross business. Forget about this death on a cross. But it's inescapable if we really want to be saved. You have Jesus without a cross, you've just got this nice moral teacher and all-round good guy, an example to follow. But primarily, and I want you to hear me when I say this, I want you to hear me because I'm going to say it quite carefully is Jesus did come for us to follow his example and to learn from his teaching. But primarily, he came to rescue. Before that, he's your rescuer. So you can have the teaching. You can say, oh, I'm a good person. I follow a good life. I follow the teachings of Jesus. But if he's not your rescuer, we're avoiding the cross. And we're like the first thief, that we're not humbling ourselves. We're not asking for God's forgiveness. First, he has to be our rescuer. We have to go through that. We have to humble ourselves and say we need forgiveness. We need a fresh start. Because the cross is a means of our salvation. That's how he saves us. Because that sin, that stuff is heaped upon him. All the stuff that we 
accumulate. All the things we do to one another, all the things we do to ourselves, the things that we do that grieve God is put upon him instead of us. If it's not put upon him and the cross, then, then what? We're done, aren't we? We have nowhere to go. Yet, on the other side, I want to see it. It's remarkable, really, if you kind of try and picture it, that on one side, he's getting berated. And on the other side, who, this guy seemingly has committed the exact same crime, because the punishment fits the crime, has a completely different outlook. Now, Mark and Matthew say initially that both of them are kind of uh, berating Jesus. So it's interesting that Luke doesn't mention that. And some kind of come to the conclusion that perhaps he was mocking Jesus, and then all of a sudden he had a moment that was like, hold on, maybe I've got this wrong. Maybe I've got this wrong. This is what it says. This is the other thief, Luke 23, verse 40, if you're following along. The other one, so the other thief, rebuked him. So rebuked his comrade in thievery. Do you not fear God? Since you're under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly. In other words, hold on, mate, do you not fear God? Because we deserve to be here. We're supposed to be here, he goes on to say. We're receiving the due reward for our deeds. And then he says, but this man, speaking of Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And he says these famous words, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's all he says. That's all that's at least the account that we have that this thief says to Jesus as he's hanging upon a cross. And it's staggering because he has eyes of faith at the last. And, and it must be significant because Jesus at this point, remember, has been beaten up. He's, the only crown he has is, is not a crown of glory, if you like, and what you'd associate with a king, but is a crown of thorns. He's probably naked or near enough naked. He doesn't, all his followers have pretty much deserted him, haven't they? Near enough, all of them have deserted him and given up on him. This doesn't look like someone to follow. This doesn't look like someone to say, oh, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Yet this guy has eyes of faith and looks beyond that. And importantly, he doesn't bypass the cross. The first one bypasses it and wants to avoid it. The second one doesn't. He recognizes two really important things if you read what he says. First, he recognizes that Jesus is perfect. You see that? Because he says, we're here justly. This man's done nothing wrong. This guy shouldn't be here. He's not like us. Jesus is perfect. He says, do you not fear God? Secondly, he realizes his own shortcomings. We're supposed to be here, mate. We've done some stuff that I'm ashamed of, things that I've got wrong. And this is the punishment. He has an honest assessment of himself that he's in need of forgiveness, that he's in need of rescue. And we do it, don't we? In our actions, in the things that we do, in the things that we say. Maybe it's in the things we haven't said, but we ought to have done. Maybe it's um, getting angry unnecessarily. We get upset. You know, we get upset when we don't think we get the recognition we deserve. You know, when someone doesn't massage our ego, we get a little bit upset. All these things, and that's just me. You know, the, the list is endless, isn't it? Of, thing, of what the Bible would call sin, of things that we do, that not only wreck our own lives, it's important we see that, that it does wreck our own lives, but also grieves the heart of God. And you know, the Christian faith is really hard. 
really hard to follow Jesus because we've got to humble ourselves. We've got to say, yeah, I got it wrong. We've got to say, I need a rescuer. I need a second chance. I need hope. And it requires us going, Jesus, you're perfect. I'm not. Which is precisely what this thief does upon the cross. This guy's conclusion, if you see, if you read it, is, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I said earlier at the start of the service, I had a visit from the Jehovah's Witnesses. And they were talking about the kingdom of God. And they said, the Bible story is about the kingdom of God. And I said, okay, great. It can be interpreted in that way, and that's fine. But the kingdom's got to have a king. Really, the Bible story is about a king. It's about one person, Jesus. And here, it's, he's saying, you're going to take me into your kingdom. I'm basically saying, you're the king. Because it's your kingdom. We have a, a profession of faith, even at the last here, from this man upon a cross. He recognizes something as Jesus. He recognizes Jesus primarily as rescuer. Not as great moral teacher. Not as party animal who turns water into wine. Not as great guy to be respected and said some wonderful things 2,000 years ago. But as someone who rescues and transforms your life. Primarily. And someone who forgives you. That's amazing, isn't it? That that's what he sees. And you know, church, this church, every church, isn't the place for the perfect. You know, so often there's stereotypes about church, isn't there? It's full of holier-than-thou people, and they sneer down their nostrils at me, and it's all judgy. And the church, you know, the church should be a rescue station, full of rescued people who celebrate rescue. That's what Redeemer King should be, can be, is a place of rescue where we celebrate the one who's rescued us. That's good news, right? That's what church should be. A place where actually it's full of broken people, just like me. But redeemed people. People that have been rescued. People that have gone to the cross. People that have seen Jesus upon it. And doesn't this guy prove just that? This beautiful scene, this horrible scene, but beautiful at the same time. That even at the last, even as he's dying upon a cross, whilst there is breath in our lungs, there is hope. Because whilst there's breath in our lungs, we can pray. Whilst there's breath in our lungs, we can say, Jesus, remember me. And it's not too late. That's for anybody. That's for the people we're writing off, or you've written off. For, for people that you think, oh, what are they like? And actually, it's for our own hearts too. <laughs> it's kind of looking back at ourselves and saying, oh, Jesus, remember me. King Jesus, when you go into your kingdom, remember me. And this guy is, uh, almost the imagery is, he's grasped from the very gates of hell by Jesus himself upon the cross. It's amazingly powerful. His very last is just ripped from there and taken to somewhere new. And what I like about this thief on the cross, if I'm allowed to like him, is he says, Jesus, remember me. You know, the temptation for us when we come to the cross or we come to faith or we think about God is to say, Jesus, honor me. Jesus, give me stuff. 
God, give me health. Give me wealth. Prosper me. This guy says, Jesus, remember me. He doesn't say any of those things. He doesn't say, Jesus, when you go into your kingdom, um, will I get to sit next to you when we're having dinner? Will it be me or will it be that other disciple? Because I'd rather it was me because I'm better than him. He doesn't do that. He says, Jesus, remember me. Don't forget me, Jesus. Don't forget this moment. And you know what the beautiful thing about this passage is? The words of response from Jesus, which I'm going to read in a second. It's a beautiful response to that. Please remember me, Jesus. Please remember me when you go to your kingdom. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Truly I say to you. You know Jesus speaks the truth. You know that, right? Truly, truly I say to you. He's speaking the truth. The words of the Bible, they're true. Not for us to impose our ideas on, but for God to speak to us through. Truly, truly I say to you, it's beautiful, today you will be with me in paradise. Not next week. Not an unspecified time. Today. It's beautiful because he says, you will be with me in paradise. What makes it paradise? What makes heaven so great? God's there. That's it, really. What makes it so great? You get to be with God forever. It's the restoration of all things, of how it was always supposed to be. The undoing of curse. That we are completely whole and made as we were supposed to be, and we walk with God again. And you know what? If you're here this morning, you haven't put your trust in Jesus, and you're kind of a bit like, if I say, Jesus, remember me, will he remember me? I mean, has he seen my life? This thief's on the cross. He's probably done some stuff. Well, he definitely has, hasn't he? And he says, Jesus, remember me. And what does Jesus do? Remembers him. Jesus doesn't forget. God doesn't forget us. He doesn't leave us high and dry. If we put our trust in him, he's not going to let us just drift or leave us alone. He loves you. He pays a price upon a cross for us. If we this morning say, Jesus, remember me, God will not forget you. Ever. He knows your name. He knows you personally. Your name is written in the book of life. He knows and loves you. And what's really interesting about this thief is he doesn't ask to be saved from the cross. You see that? He doesn't, he doesn't say, Jesus, get me down from this. He just says, Jesus, remember me. He embraces the cross. He embraces all that it signifies. He chose to see life once the cross had done its worst. And you know what? For us, we have to live in the shadow of the cross. The cross casts a shadow, doesn't it? Upon us that says we have a rescuer and we need to be rescued. And we're to live in that. In that place of rescue. In that Shadow that says, I need Jesus every single day, more and more and more. And when we, when we say, Jesus, remember me, he says, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. You'll be with me. And that word paradise doesn't appear a massive amount of times in the Bible, if you're thinking, why does he say that? Like the, the, the root word of it means garden, which 
you kind of get this picture that's built that almost says, do you remember the Garden of Eden? Do you remember when it was good? Do you remember when I walked with you and you were completely fulfilled and it was perfect and God walked with man? Today you're going to be with me again. All that's broken, all those tears, all those pains, all those hurts, all those all that guilt and fear and shame that we carry. Today you'll be with me in paradise. No more, Jesus says. No more. And I love this, what Spurgeon says, a man of great beard, Charles Spurgeon. And he said of this passage, this is what he says. It's as if Jesus says to the heavenly powers, I bring a sinner with me. He's a sample of all the rest. Amazing. As he snatches this guy and gives him new life. I bring this guy with me. He's an example of all the rest. But he's with me. And I love him. And he's rescued forever. And the great news is, guys, is that this guy gets pardoned on the cross. He's forgiven by Jesus. But the moment his eyes close in death and they open again he's with Jesus forever the moment his eyes close in death and they open again he is with Jesus forever not only does he get pardoned but he gets paradise and so often we sacrifice the future paradise and eternal life and the things of the future and the great things God has for us for momentary pleasure for nonsense that just wrecks us but he was forgiven and given paradise. His eternal destiny was changed in that moment. And I want you to see as Jesus hangs upon a cross, he's got one thief to his left and he's got one thief to his right. One puts his trust in Jesus and gains paradise. The other mocks him and doesn't. There's nothing special about these two guys. They're exactly the same. Yet one chose well, because one chose Christ. And that's the challenge for us all this morning, isn't it? Whether we, we're sat on the fence, because I don't, I don't see another cross. I don't see, another, I don't see a third option here presented before us. I just see two. To ask Jesus to remember you or not, to be forgiven or not. And it's that man who's in the middle who changes everything. Is that same guy in the middle of your life? Has the cross changed your eternal destiny? Have you put your trust in Jesus? Because I, I beg you to do that. It's the best decision you'll ever make. It's the best decision that thief ever made on that cross, was to say, Jesus, remember me when you go into your kingdom. And that was with his last breath. And I came across something else this week, which I thought was amazing. And this is the hope for us, because, you know, this might not be your last day. You might have, I pray you have many more ahead of you. But I want you to have those many more ahead of you walking with Jesus now. Not waiting until your last day, but walking with him now. Because Jesus comes to give us life and life to the full now. But he also comes to give us paradise in the future.
today is the opportunity, I, I believe, for each of us to come before the cross again and go, is this the place I'm going to humble myself and come back to the rescuer or not?